Hey everyone, welcome and welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! jump into the second week of this book, uh, this series called Resilient, uh, and I'm doing this on a book I would highly recommend that you get, and either listen to it or read it, whatever the case may be, but it's called Resilient by John Eldridge, Restoring Your Weary Soul in These Turbulent Times, and the, the, the book title or the book cover doesn't look anything like this. Uh, I asked Sarah when she made this graphic just to keep the, the camels front and center, uh, because this is the analogy that's given for the whole book. And if you weren't here last week, uh, the, the analogy goes like this. A camel can go for months without water in the right conditions, right? That's what they're famous for, for going months and months and months without any kind of fluid. However, he says, camels are a lot like our souls. Because here's what happens. We can go and go and go and keep drawing from these it seems like endless well of strength from our soul, but then all of a sudden, our soul will just give up. And a camel, very similarly, will do the same thing. I don't know if you know this. It's an odd fact of camels. They'll go for months, and then they don't slow down. When they run out of water, they just die. And so I've read, again, accounts from people in history. They're riding along, and then their camel just dies right out from underneath them. And so that's a very peculiar thing about them. But John Eldridge, for the, to set the tone for the whole book, he said, that's how our souls are, and we need to make sure that we're refilling our souls. So how do we do that? Well, last week I tried to show you some, some images from the Bible to say, look, in the Old Testament in Ezekiel and in the New Testament book of Revelation, you've got two pictures of the river of life, right? And we have access to this river, and it's something very real. Because I want you to think about a time in your life where you have been absolutely beyond your sanity, right? Where you like literally feel like you're the mayor of crazy town, you know? And they're going to set plaques up and stuff for you. And you're just like, my life is completely overwhelming. I've been through X, Y, or Z, and I can't handle this. I don't have the answers for that. I don't know how I'm going to get out of X, Y, or Z. It's in those moments that are way beyond our own strength, way beyond our own sanity, that we're going to find the real relevance of this. And so I did this series because I have found myself here in the last few years. He wrote this book because he realizes people have found themselves in that space where you just, you feel like you don't have anything left inside of you. And so, and I wanted to do this series because I know I've talked to people that I love and care about in this church that have been in those spaces. And then I know you've got friends in your lives, family in your lives that have gone into these places where our souls are just weary. And it's why I started last week with Psalm 42. So if you've never read Psalm 42 before, it's a great psalm to read because you see real tension by the psalmist there just to say, God, I don't know what's going on. I'm going to trust in you. Man, I am so depressed. My soul thirsts for you. God, where are you? And it's like, you know, just, just back and forth. And that's real life. And that's what I love about that psalm. And so I wanted to jump into this because I do really believe that we have access to something. When we've been overwhelmed by our life circumstances, we have access to this river of life that's pictured in the Bible. And so my question is for you. 
here this morning. Do you really believe, now again, I don't know anybody watching, anybody in the room, I don't know if we're all Christians, I don't know, but if you say you are, do you really believe that God gives you something tangible to draw from when life is impossible, when life is unfair, when life is difficult, or just stressing you out, or you've got family coming into town that you're like, oh, right? Or maybe you are that family that makes somebody else feel that way, I don't know. But when we're in those places, do you honestly believe that you can drink deeply from this river of life that's offered to us? Because right now, a lot of people in our country feel lost, because there's so much stuff that just seems to be going wrong and crazy. And I was asked at a birthday party just last week. I was at a children's birthday party for two kids five and under. And I was asked the question, based on saying that I was doing this series with a guy that I don't really know that well, he was like, well, I don't know. And he said, you know, in my generation, whenever anybody starts a conversation that way, you know that it's probably not going to go well thereafter. They're not going to say, you know, in my generation, we always want to be supportive of the next generation. Like, it's not usually going to go that way. So it kind of went the way I thought it would, where he... Then he asked the question, and he wasn't being a jerk or anything about it, but he just said, do you, like, he said, Kyle, do you really think it's that hard for these next generations? And like a hundred things went through my mind instantly, but I'm thinking, all right, I'm at a children's party. What am I going to say? Because what's on my heart, what I wanted to say was, well, look, man, we've got mental health crisis going through the roof. We've got depression, anxiety. We've got kids shooting up schools and malls, right? We've got addiction. We've got all kinds of awful stuff happening in our country right now. Like, people struggle with almost everything, it seems like. Why is that? So, yes, I think something is going wrong with this younger generation. It's not just them being snowflakes, right? Because it's easy just to be like, oh, they just don't have any resilience. They're just not tough like we were. And it's like, but why? Like, let's go beyond that as followers of Jesus. Can we actually say, okay, there is something wrong. There has been some pretty serious trauma the last few years. Maybe not everybody's going to handle it as good as I do, or maybe as well as I did, right? But is the problem real? Yes. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, do we have an answer for that? Yes. So can we speak some hope into that 100%? And that's what I want to talk about this morning, because when we feel lost, we, we man, that creates tension in us. I don't know if you've ever been lost before. That creates some tension in you, Right? If you have ever been in the woods and been lost, that'll create some serious tension in you. And that's why they always say, if you ever lost in the woods, do not panic. Because what panic people do, and this is a weird phenomenon of human beings, when they get lost in the woods and panic, they literally will just run. Like, they don't have any sense at all. They're just like, ah! And they just panic and freak out. And then they die. Right? Like, that's why they say, in wilderness survival circumstances, you have to calm down. Now, my mom was famously bad at directions, and this is a very much urban story, not getting lost in the woods, but my mom was from Chicago and went back every year with me when I was little, took me back there for like a week or two to visit her family. Even though she grew up there, even though we went back there every year, my mom would get lost going from here to the bottom of the stairs, right? So here we are. I can't help. There's no GPS. And we're driving around Chicago, and if you don't know Chicago well, the south side of Chicago is a place you want to avoid at all costs. So here's my little five-foot-nothing Filipino mom and her little elementary school boy rolling up into south side Chicago. And my mom knows where we are, though. She knows she's terribly lost, but she's starting to panic. So she's like, Kyle, 
she clicks the doors locked. And I'm like, hmm, that's weird. Mom never does that when we're driving around the neighborhood. And then she says something that, like, really worried me. She says, don't make eye contact with anybody, okay, honey? And I'm like, like what does that even mean? Why? You know, and, like, she didn't want to explain because she was just nervous. And then, to make matters even better, we pulled up to the stoplight. Right? And so here we are, already lost. My mom is freaking out. Like, now that I'm an adult looking back, I know. And she pulls up to a stoplight, and she's starting not to think. She's starting to go into panic. I need to just run mode. And so she knows, she just wants to make a turn. There's people everywhere. And this guy starts to walk out into the intersection in front of us. And she doesn't see him. And she's panicked. So she drives right forward into the guy, and he goes right onto the hood. And he's looking at both my mom and I, and I'm like, oh, man, this isn't good. And he stands right up, and he's just like, bam, right on the top of our hood. And I'm like, so this is how we die. This is it. This is my story. It's not been a long one, um, but it's going to end right here with this menacing-looking fellow on our hood. And for some reason, just the grace of God, he just kept walking. And my mom eventually found her way out. But, like, after that, I could tell how stressful that was to be lost in that kind of dangerous environment. And... That is what it does to us. It creates that fight or flight, like I can't really think mode. And I think as a nation, it kind of as a world, that's kind of what we're in right now. We're like in this panicked fight or flight mode. And particularly people that work with younger people, they see this. They see this sense of like almost dread and almost uncertainty. And if we're not careful in those moments, that's where really foolish things can happen. And so the Bible speaks into that and tells a different story than what we're getting. Because if you watch the news, it's all negativity. Right? If you like, watch the news for more than 10 minutes, and you're going to just get a recycle of the same breaking news with the same person saying it in the same dreaded tones, and it's going to be naturally the end of the world because they're the ones with the scoop, and they're the ones that are, you know, blah, 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 and it's always the bad stuff, and you joke with people all the time. It's only the bad stuff on the news. My barber was like, man, they should just come up with a news channel with only good stuff, and I was like, yeah, that'd be cool, and he was like, but nobody would watch it, and I was like, no, they wouldn't. Nobody would watch that channel, like, of only good things, you know? And, like, I swear, we're just gluttons for punishment. And maybe we would, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sold on the idea. So I want to tell you where the good news is. I want us to just focus this morning, because I want this series to be a practical series of, okay, life's going to be bananas sometimes, but what does God say to us? Like, what is His story telling? And I want you to really consider, do you ever give any kind of credence whatsoever to what I'm about to read? Like, do you understand that, most of the time, we're not really leaning into the Lord. Like, why is so much offered, and yet we lean into it so little? If what I'm about to read to you is literally given to us from God, how come this isn't just part of the song we're singing all the time? When we're stressed, when we're angry, when we want to rage. So this is the story of what God is telling us. I'm going to give you a handful of verses to think about. Matthew 11, verse 28. Pretty well-known verse. He says, Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This right here, if you believe in Jesus as far as who he says he is, who he revealed himself to be as creator and redeemer, he says, look, when you're stressed, when you're weary, when you're burdened, come to me and you'll find what? Right? Just a little bit later in this passage, he says, a couple verses later, he says, I will give you rest for your souls. Why? Because your soul is going to get beat up. And when it does, come to me. So that, I want you to really consider that. Jesus, creator of the universe, says, you're going to get stressed out, and when you do, come to me, and I will give you my rest. So my question for you is, all right, well, how do I do that? When my life turns upside down, how do I find rest if Jesus says he's going to offer it? 
Let's look at some other things that are said in the New Testament. Jesus, John 16, 33. I have told you these things, all in the upper room. He's like Last Supper stuff, right? I told you all this stuff so that in me you may have what? Peace. Well, why, Jesus? Why am I going to need to meet, need peace? Well, because you're going to have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. So I want you to notice the theme of these verses. Life is going to be tough. We have a whole generation, three of them, everybody since World War II, we are in this country convinced that everything should be awesome and perfect and easy. And so many people have bought into the gospel, the false gospel, the prosperity gospel, that if you just believe in Jesus, you'll be rich, you'll have everything you want, you'll be successful, you'll be healthy, you won't have sickness, you're not going to have any of this stuff. God's just going to take away all the evils in your life. And so many people have, like, low-key believed that, that they don't even know verses like this are in the Bible. And so they feel so wrecked in their soul because they don't realize God said, you're going to get pushed way beyond anything that you can handle. And I want you to know I'll meet you there. Like, if we believe that gospel, like, I think that we've got some hope to offer to the world. But I will promise you this. Go to work and start quoting scripture like this when your friends and your coworkers are bemoaning about how awful the world is when they're complaining about how wretched the next generation is and how weak they are, if you said, well, you know, Jesus Christ actually talks about this. He says it would be like this, but he gives us hope. Immediately, just know that you're going to be looked at as a crazy person who believes in fairy tales, right? And so, rather than commiserating and being miserable with people, if you stepped into that and said, well, you know, Jesus said it would be just like this, and he said that we can be courageous. Did you know that Jesus says that? They're just going to be like, so anyway... Crazy people work at my place of work now, right? So you're going to know that that's happening. You're going to know that that's what Jesus promised, but also believe that Jesus said that there's a different way to think through this stuff. A little bit later in the New Testament, you're going to see this right here, Matthew 24. I read this last week. Right in the midst of all the craziness Jesus said would happen, he says, see that you are not alarmed. Or what else? Don't freak out. Don't freak out. It's going to feel like the world's ending but don't freak out. And then in Hebrews, or actually 1 Timothy, or no, 2 Timothy, right? 2 Timothy, my bad. Paul says this. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, is saying this to a young pastor who seems like he's so nervous that he has stomach issues. Like, he's so nervous that Paul is like, you should drink a little bit of wine to help settle your stomach, because it seems like he was a nervous wreck, because he was maybe naturally that way, but Timothy was pastoring a very difficult church in Ephesus where people were challenging his leadership all the time because he was young and not respected, probably for his age. And Paul's saying, look, Timothy, don't forget. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and self, or in sound judgment, or self-control, as some other translations say. So I want you to hear this today, too, here at Quayball Church, those of you watching, those of you in the building. We don't have a spirit of fear. If Jesus says, when I leave, I'm going to send my spirit for you, that means something for you. And I just want to help us. I just want to lead us into this and say, well, what is going on? We have these promises that we should be repeating and saying to ourselves often, but are we? And then a little bit later in Hebrews 4, this is a, a beautiful passage about God understanding us. He says, Jesus, our high priest, He's, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. We don't have a high priest that's unable to sympathize. We have Jesus who understands us. He gets our weaknesses. And he goes on. He says, 
He experienced everything, next verse, he's, he experienced everything we did yet without sin, right? Everything that we did yet without sin. So he understands us, right? That's why, have you guys seen um, the Jesus, he gets us, like, uh, commercials yet? Like, that's what they're all about, is helping people understand that Jesus actually understands us. And then it says, all right, what does that result in? If Jesus understands us, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we're going to receive mercy, find grace, and help in our time of need. Like, that's a promise that's given to us. That's a much different narrative that's given to us. That's a much different story to attach to, to say that God actually cares about you. It's why we share testimony videos. It's why Alicia did such a great job, is because her story matters, right? It shows that God will meet us in the midst of tough times, right? That's where God meets us, and we can find grace even when we can't find answers, right? And then Hebrews 13, just a little bit later, same writer, talking to the same crowd, says something very important for them to hear. He says, I will never leave you or abandon you. This letter to the Hebrews was written to Jews that were watching their lives fall apart for being Christians. Most of us don't face that kind of persecution. Because in this world, if you were kicked out of the synagogue because you accepted Jesus as your Savior, and that you were no longer allowed to go to synagogue, and that you could no longer eat the feasts and celebrate the festivals with your people, your family, and then you could no longer probably work in the sectors that you worked in. Your life was basically over. And so when he's reminding them, he's like, look, what you are going through is worth it because the one you're putting your faith in is real. So this is real, real catastrophe that this is being spoken to here. And then he says, therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So he's reminding them, look, we can come boldly to the throne. We can come for help when we need it, right? He's just said that two in these two passages, or twice in these two passages. And then the Bible ends with a promise that I don't want us to forget. Just a handful of verses from the very end of the Bible. This is what Jesus Christ says. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which means I am the first and the last. Alpha and Omega, first Greek letter in the alphabet, Omega, last Greek letter in the Greek alphabet. I am the first and I am the last. I'm the beginning and the end. What Jesus is essentially saying here is what? Jesus wins the end, right? This world's going to be crazy, but I was here beforehand and I'll be here after. Everything that you're going to go through, whether it's in school, whether it's in college, whether it's in the workforce, whether it's being single, being married, whether it's persecution, whether it's relational drama, whether it's the world pandemic and all the aftermath, all that, Jesus is like, yeah, it's all going to happen, and I've got you. But how do we lean into that? How do we like understand that story? So I want to read briefly a passage. Like This is the story right here that we should keep our eyes on. Because again, there's lots of other stories out there. There's lots of other distractions. There's lots of drama and hate and fear being spewed. But here's what Paul says is the most important story to focus on. In Ephesians 1. He exercised this power, God did. He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens. Like that, Paul says, is the story to focus on. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And I wonder, does that story have our focus? That like that Jesus, river of life, Alpha and Omega, I'm in charge of everything, Calm down, I've got you, Jesus. 
Does that have our, our attention? Does that story right there have our attention? When the world is like seeming like it's burning itself down in negativity and toxicity, will that have our attention? Will we as Christians finally say, no, we can speak into this. We don't have to continue being negative. We don't have to continue to be hopeless. We don't have to continue to look at the next generations and say, oh my gosh, we're never going to make it. So many people think that. But what if we, as Christians, said, no, there is hope. There's a reason that these younger generations are struggling so much, and we may have played a part in it, in the world that we created for them. So what can we do with the gospel? How can we say, this is the story here that will bring life back to people? Every great movement has to start somewhere. Why not with us? Because the stories that have, I want to give you three major stories from world history that affected so much and still ripple through history, and yet, where are they? So first is Rome. Rome was the story when the Bible was being written, right? The Roman Empire was it. When Paul wrote that, these words in Ephesians, Christianity was nothing. It was a nothing movement in the middle of nowhere in the corner of the Roman Empire, which was the most powerful kingdom empire ever, right? Super influential even to this day. But 200 years after Paul wrote these words, the Roman Empire was done. It imploded. A bigger empire, a more influential empire, was the Mongol Empire and Genghis Khan. Most people don't even know who Genghis Khan is or what the Mongol Empire is. But it's humongous, right? It's humongous. Genghis Khan called himself the Scourge of God. And if you overlay it with the Roman Empire, man, it's, it's huge. But who knows anything about the Mongols and Genghis Khan? Still very influential. Impact still being felt today. But Genghis Khan and his empire, it came and went. Genghis Khan was just a person. Or, okay, most of you are like, okay, I don't know anything about these people. What about the guys? Anybody know them? Right? I was actually proud. My son, Bear, I didn't think he would know. He was like, that's the Beatles. And I was like, how's he know that? Um, I had to apologize to Lucy, our drummer, uh, in the first service because I thought that only one of these guys was left alive. Uh, and I killed the drummer, Ringo, there. And I said, you know, they're all dead except for the guy in the middle there. And Lucy took personal offense to that because as a drummer, she, she really identified with Ringo there. But these guys, the Beatles, I mean, in the 60s and 70s, they were it. They influenced everything. And then still, even their music today, they're very influential. But at the end of the day, all these guys will eventually be dead. And eventually, their influence is not going to be known, right? As influential as they were and still are, you know, I would say maybe, I don't know, 8 billion people or 6 billion people in the world probably don't know who they are, right? Even as influential as they are and continue to be. And so what Paul is making an argument in is he's saying, look, as, as influential as things are, they all come and go. He's trying to get us to understand, like, the story that we should keep our eyes on is the story of God, the eternal story. Because our story is important. Your story matters. The things that you go through, the trauma you experience, the victories you experience, the goodness of life you experience, all of that matters. And Paul is saying, but never forget, there is only one story that lasts forever and ever. That's what we read in Ephesians. There's only one story that lasts forever and ever. So let's keep our eyes on that. Because if we don't, we get really, really consumed with just the here and now. And the Apostle Paul would say this. Look, everything that you experience now in this life is going to pale in comparison to the glory that we're going to be able to see one day. There's this promise of heaven. There's this promise of the here and now that Jesus is with us. 
but it's like this all-encompassing thing. That's what Paul is trying to say in Ephesians 1. It's not just here now, but it's also forever. And so, again, I want to keep my eyes on that, and I want to help us keep our eyes on that story. Because if so much is offered, if so much is offered to me and to you, if you're a follower of Christ, if you say you're a Christian, and God says, this is a story I've written for you, my question I want you to wrestle with is why, again, as I asked earlier, why do we tend to lean into that so little when it is there? Because that's a habit we have to build, and that's what I hope to do during this series, is help us build a habit of like real deep prayer so that our first reaction is to pray. Not to freak out, or get angry, or be dismissive, or check out, but that we're going to have this deep prayer life. And Eldridge says this in his book. This is a direct quote. He says, The story of God should get more of my attention than any other media. Any other media that we consume. On average, people in their early 20s and teenagers spend about 10 hours a day on different kinds of media. How does that affect us? Well, it depends on what they're watching. But you can see what's happening. And you can see giving phones and just like no limits whatsoever, what that can do to the next generation when there's so much out there. And so this is the, this is the challenge that I'm, I'm giving you right here. In light of all that stuff, the better story that's available, the difficulty we will face, here's what Jesus says um, we should do. Here's what, how we should react. And, and Luke 21, we read this this morning. That was the NLT and this is the ESV, different translation. It says, but be alert at all times. Praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This right here, this passage, I never really looked much to do a language study. The New Testament is written in Greek. And so I'd never done a a word study of this passage until I read this book. And he said this word strength right there, like how do we get through this stuff, is a Greek word, kataskio. That Greek word that Jesus uses there that's written down and recorded for us is to be completely able, to be superior to someone. So what this indicates in the Greek language is that Jesus says, I want you to pray for a combative strength. I want you to pray for the kind of strength that goes into a war and not just can win, but will win. Like, that's what's communicated by this word that Jesus uses. I just think it's cool that Jesus Christ says, this life is going to be so difficult, I literally want you to ask me for a battle-hardened kind of strength so that you can make it through. When Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, he's like, this life is going to be difficult, and so you need to be like battle-ready. Battle-ready in your heart, in your soul, and in your mind. Like, we need to start going there first. God, this is the kind of strength that you want me to not only ask for, but to have. That's what Jesus Christ offers us. But again, it's going to take us really building a habit of doing what the Bible shows. Like, doing what those early apostles who all died for their faith were able to do. They were able to drink deeply from the river of life. And most of us, our first reaction is not, oh, Lord, I want to drink deeply from the river of life. It's, I hate that guy. It's, I hate that girl. I hate those people. I hate my life. I hate myself. Right? All these little lies, all these little things that we say because of what life does to us. And I want you to notice, very real world, this is a quote from John Eldridge's book. And I want to be able to kind of wrap up with this today. He says that when he's talking to other people about resilience, and I've done the same thing. I have tried to, just in preparation for ministry, but also thinking about this series, 
I have talked to uh, college professors. I have talked to counselors. I have talked to uh, employees at major companies like IBM who are employing lots and lots of people. And I've asked them, what are you seeing in the next generation? What are you seeing in kids coming out of college into the workforce in their mid-20s and their early 20s? And it's interesting because it's all very similar to what Eldridge puts in his book. And the quote I'm going to read, he's quoting a woman he's talking to whose job it is to prep incoming freshmen for college, right? How do I get them onboarded and integrated into college life? That's what she does at this university. And she says this to John Eldridge. She says, 18 is the new 12. Our students are emotionally underdeveloped. They're much less resilient than we've ever encountered, and I'm not entirely sure why. Now, here's the option that we have, and here's why I say we need to think differently as followers of Jesus. Our culture gets in these generational wars. Older people just want to look at younger people like they're weak, and then they're, you know, they're stupid, and they don't understand the real world. But my challenge to that kind of thinking is they got that from somewhere, right? They were handed that by somebody. Right? It wasn't just them that decided this. It was just a, a world that they grew up in, and then now they view the world through this lens. So after decades, for example, after decades of helicopter parenting and snowplow parenting, our kids are woefully under, underprepared for the real world. Helicopter parents, most of us know that, right? It's like, I'm going to be there for every little choice for my kids, and I'm going to make sure they, you know, it all goes right, and I'm going to be there, and, I, and like, we know that. But even worse than that is the snowplow or the, the lawnmower parents, that they're not just going to be there with their kid. They're going to go ahead of their kid, and they're just going to flatten every obstacle that might be in their way. And so kids are growing up with the understanding that life should just be easy and perfect, and it really should just be about them. Because we've told them for a long time that, hey, whatever you want to be, your happiness, be true to you. We've, we've dumped all this stupidity into their lives. that it's like, well, no, we need to be about community. I need to be ready for adversity. But they've been told by the adults in their lives that they don't need to be. And then we sit and point the finger at them when they're like falling all over themselves. So I think followers of Jesus Christ need to be able to step into this and be like, you know what? No, what Jesus says, man, what what we've been given is that life is going to be incredibly difficult. But it's not hopeless. We're only being given the first part of the narrative in our culture. Like, a lot of people are coming into the world and realizing, oh my gosh, this is awful. Like you saw Dan talk about earlier, I can't even get an apartment because things are so expensive. What am I supposed to do? Right? Like, we need to be able to come alongside people like that. And look, we've got lots of people helping several people in our church right now trying to find places to live. Because that's what community does. That's what church does. And praying for them. Trying to keep our ears open. But life is going to be difficult. But you know what? Jesus said, he'll be with you. And he commanded me to be with you. So out of love, I'm going to do this journey with you. That's what it's supposed to be like, because it's not just young people that don't have this, right? We all do. We all have this comfort mentality. So resilience. Let me close with this. Resilience is not just a, a passive acceptance of life sucking, right? It's not just like, oh, yeah, this is just miserable. I'm going to check out or I'm going to be angry or whatever. Yeah, I guess it's just it is what it is. It's not that. Resilience, everyone, is living, and it's experiencing, it's suffering, and it's hurting. It's falling flat on your face and having no answers and being like, I just look stupid because I don't know what I'm doing. It's all of that. And it's in the midst of that, trusting Jesus and saying, but you know what? I've not been given a spirit of fear. 
you know what? God says he's never going to leave me, nor is he going to abandon me. You know what? I'm not going to be defined by my mistakes because Jesus doesn't define me by my mistakes. The world will 100%. But I know I've got Jesus Christ that says I'm not defined by that. That is resilience, and it's found out in that scary space beyond your sanity, beyond your strength, and beyond your experience. That's where you're going to meet God is in those weird and scary places, and that's where that resilience is going to develop. So I want to share something, two tangible things, just to give you, I'm trying to make this a super practical series, and I want to give you two things to go off of. The first is this app. John Eldridge made this app to go along with some of the small groups that he's done, and it's called the One Minute Pause, and I would love for you to do this journey with me. If you download this app, it's the one by Ransomed Heart, within it, you're going to see pop up right away this 30 Days to Resilience. I started it just this morning because I wanted to see what it was like, and I wanted to begin the journey myself, because I'm preaching this series not just for you, but for me. I started this series because I knew I needed this. I, I did, selfishly. And as a pastor, I can do that kind of stuff, right? I can just be like, I really need to do this. So, And it's been amazing for me to really slow down and say, Lord, I want to give you some undivided attention where I don't feel so rushed. So this morning I did this. I did the very first one on the very first day, and it, and it did a prayer through John 15, and it did a prayer through Ephesians chapter 3. And it was just John and this other woman just preaching through Scripture, or um, praying through Scripture, and just like giving me things to think about. But it was awesome. It was nine minutes, and it's twice a day, and the second one's different. They're all different. But it's just like, how can we develop a serious prayer life? I'm doing this series because I want to teach this. I want you to be able to experience this, and I want to be able to experience this myself. Drinking deeply from the river of life. That's what I'm hoping to be able to cultivate through this. So, that is uh, that right there is number one. Number two, in this book, Resilient, he closes every single chapter with a very psalm-like prayer. So I want to close today with one of his psalm-like prayers from this book out of the chapters that we're doing. I'm doing two chapters a Sunday. And I want you to make this prayer as best you can your own. And I, I'm going to share this every single Sunday, one of these prayers. I'm going to close with this because I just I want you to see how do you, because we're going to be in Psalm 23, how do you meditatively pray or pray rather through Scripture? Because this is a skill. Um, this is something that somebody told me to do a long time ago in seminary, actually. They said, when you read Scripture, pray through Scripture. Hear from God. Talk back to God. Ask Him to clarify. Reaffirm. Whatever it may be. So I want to model that for you because he models this at the end of one of his chapters. And I want to read it just to show you how you pray meditatively through a passage of Scripture. And Psalm 23 is just a famous one. That's probably why he used it and it's very applicable to what we're doing here. So try to make this your own. And just see how there's this rhythm of Scripture. And then my prayer. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jesus is still in charge. Still deeply involved in my life. In world guiding, leading, providing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God restores my weary heart. And He gives me resilience if I follow Him. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Kyle, don't get baited into all the drama. Let God lead you each and every day. 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Yes, we are in a dark time. But God is still protecting me. He's still comforting me. I am not on my own. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God has a feast of goodness for me, even in rough times. He fills my famished craving. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My reality is not determined by my by pandemics, politics, or anything else. My story begins and ends with God. He promises me His goodness is with me today and always. Amen. All right. That's all we got for this week. I love you. See you guys next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.